Welcome to the Resilient Schools podcast today. I'm excited to have Matthew Taylor on the program. Matt is the CEO and founder of the Noble Story Group, a leadership coaching and training group that ignites thriving for individuals and equity for groups by operationalizing emotional intelligence. Matt has coached and trained hundreds of education and nonprofit leaders over the last 15 years, from CEOs to school principals. Matt's five-square methodology is used as an anchor leadership development tool in nonprofit organizations, school leader development programs, and executive coaching programs across the country. Matt began his leadership career at Amistad Academy Middle School after 10 years of teaching. During Matt's tenure as principal, Amistad distinguished itself as the number one middle school in Connecticut for African-American student achievement. His book, The Noble School Leader, is a self-guided coaching journey for school leaders seeking to reduce suffering, spark hope, and increase equity and inclusion and help leaders and the people they lead thrive in their work and their lives. Matt, welcome to Resilient Schools. Appreciate you being here. Thanks, Jethro. It's great to be here. Now, we're going to do something a little bit different here. We're going to talk about how something that is typically positive is negative, and that is joy. So we'll talk about that in just a second. But first, Matt, what was your takeaway from this podcast? I think one big takeaway for me was joy and hope are two very important emotions that people need to feel positive and that they can be confused and that there are are other basic needs that people have to thrive in their work that joy can obscure. Yeah, interesting. So I'll ask you another question about that in a second. But my big takeaway was when you said that connection and care without challenge is just enabling. Mm. And I think that that's really important because so much of what we have talked about and experienced over the last few years has made me personally feel like it's all about connection and care. And that challenge has just dropped off the face of the map. And so I appreciate that. So let's talk a little bit about joy because it's very strange that somebody would say that joy is not a good thing and you say that it's inadequate. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yes. And let me start by saying I am not anti-joy. <laughs> yeah. And as a school leader, I was raised on the idea of joy being essential for a strong school's culture. And I still feel that way. It can be a powerful force for building teams. The problem I see is when it's overused as a strategy to when teams are in challenge. And so when teams are hurting, as they are in this moment, right after the pandemic, as we're trying to to catch up and in the midst of culture wars, when teachers and educators find themselves in the middle, going after joy in moments like this, when teams are hurting, can create dissonance for people when they're experiencing these challenges. And even worse, the focus on joy, and even if it's a thoughtful focus, can obscure or detract from what people really need. And those conditions that I believe people really need are connection, care, and challenge, the ones that you referred to a few minutes ago. Very good. So Matt, can you tell us how teams focusing on joy is a bad thing? Because usually we think joy is a good thing. I know. And before I even start, like I am a proponent of joy too. As a school <laughs> principal, I focused a lot on it. I actually grew up as a school leader in a culture that really valued joy. I think it's a powerful force of building teams at the right time in the right place. 
it's really the problem is the overuse of joy as a kind of a strategy to build healthy cultures. So in the book, Positivity by Barbara Fredrickson, which I think is a great book about like how to build positive environments. She talks about joy and what she says about the conditions for joy are like, envision this, right? Your surroundings are safe and familiar. Things are going your way even better than you expected. At the moment, the situation requires little effort on your part. These are the circumstances that spark joy. And so my worry about joy right now those are not the conditions we're in right now, Jethro, right? For the most part, uh, we're in a very different place. And my worry is that teams that are leaders who are going after joy at this moment can create dissonance with the people that they're leading. And even worse, when we focus on joy, even if it's thoughtful joy at this point, we can obscure or distract from what our teams really need right now. Yeah, so let's dig into that a little bit. A lot of people will say that joy actually helps us have things. And especially like the idea of following your passion is something Mm -hmm. that is often suggested as a way to do things. What's wrong with that approach in in certain circumstances? Right. So I think about Maslow's hierarchy here, right? At the base of the pyramid of Maslow's hierarchy is basic needs, sustenance, emotional safety, things like that. And at the top of the pyramid is reaching your potential, you know, as a human being. Right now, we're at a time where we as adults, and quite honestly, kids in schools too, we are struggling to meet the basic needs. And it really does create cognitive dissonance if we're focusing at the on the wrong place at the wrong time on that Maslow's hierarchy. And so this, my work coaching and training leaders is grounded in emotional intelligence. And one of the basic concepts of that is social awareness. That's knowing where your team is in the moment and what they need. So this is really a question about social awareness. At this moment of time, where are most schools and where are most educators and what do they need? So it sounds like you're saying that you can't have joy if things are not perfect. Am I understanding that right? Help me understand that. When schools are really challenged or when people are really challenged, and let's think about this moment, right? It's February. In most schools, there's been a recent resignation. We're down people. Students are significantly behind, right, from the pandemic. We're feeling like it's hard to catch up. Educators are feeling burnt out. They're feeling unsuccessful. In a lot of places, the culture wars are playing out in schools. What schools and educators need right now, they need to be able to feel like they're not alone. They need to feel like there's a way forward together. They need to feel like there's hope. Going after joy right now or going after what invigorates me most in my job is probably not what most people need right now. And the problem is if we go after those things and people are in this very different place, it causes resentment towards us as leaders if we're going after them. Yeah. Tell me more about that causing resentment if we go after that right now, because I think that when we get back to the reason why we're doing things and the the joy that we feel when we do that, I'm using joy for this conversation, but there are lots of feelings that are associated with that, right? Yeah. I feel like when we go back to those places, then it helps us find value in what we're doing. And so maybe actually before I ask that question, Why don't you go back to the idea of 
using joy to build culture and what kind of activities that are like plug and play that you talk about that that are the things that cause that cognitive dissonance? Yeah. And I'll start with a personal story there. Come to this with a lot of humility. I've misused joy myself uh, as a prince, school principal. So my story is in, in October, right? Our school had integrated a new reading program. There were some obstacles along the way. We had changed the schedule. There were some feelings about that. I knew there was some rumbling. And so I, I planned this lunch, brought in pizza, had some great music playing. And my plan was, let's do some team building. Let's, and my message was, we've had some bumps in the road, but let's move on. And we started that conversation and some people disagreed. Then some people in pretty emotional ways kind of stood up and talked about how they were feeling. And then people started arguing with me. It, it was the absolute worst moment of my principalship. I misread the room. People were hurting and they needed to talk about it. They needed to be affirmed in that. I needed to own some of my own mistakes. So if I tried to go after, let's really lean into what we love and care about right now. That's not where the team was. And so I agree with you. That's where we want to get to. But but you can't necessarily go straight there sometimes if there's what I would call subtext that hasn't been dealt with on the team or in the room. Gotcha. So so help me understand how joy fits into that specifically, because even that example, I wouldn't necessarily describe that as seeking for joy with your staff. Help me understand that aspect. Yeah, I was trying to infuse positivity, camaraderie into a place where people needed affirmation. They needed to hear what was getting in the way. They needed me to acknowledge that they were hurting to create the space to connect authentically. And so essentially, I was creating inauthenticity by not meeting people where they were. I wasn't connecting, right? And what I think, I mean, basically what I believe based on my experience coaching and training with emotional intelligence, people need three things at the very basically to feel like they're thriving, they feel like they're, they're happy coming to work. They need connection connection with each other, but also connection with, with their leaders. They need to feel cared for, and they also need to be feel challenged. Those three things are kind of the core ingredients for what people need to be able to get to a place to feel joy, right? But to go after joy, if those three things are missing, that's basically what I'm talking about that doesn't work. Yeah, that makes sense. So let's talk about connection. What does that look like for a school or a school leader to have that connection? I mean, it sounds like that's what you were trying to do in your example, and it failed. What do you think caused it to fail? And what do you do when your school is like devolving into this toxic, gross environment? Right. I think when I use the word connection, what I mean is having real conversations. I think there can be a misconception about connection, that connection should feel good. The way I'm using the word, it should feel real. And so connection is creating a space where we can share where we really are right now, a space for emotional experiences to be shared. And, you know, leaders who, teams right now, especially need leaders who make it safe to do that kind of sharing by sharing themselves. And we hear a lot about the power of vulnerability. 
leaders who can be vulnerable and share where they are emotionally appropriately, right? Invite their teams to do the same thing and create space for that to happen. And leaders who can really listen, right? Without an agenda to fix things, just to listen to, to so people feel seen and heard. So it's really about holding a space without an agenda for people to be able to show up as their full selves in the moment, even if it feels like hard. And right now that space is going to feel hard. But if you do it, you create a common experience and you create a shared bond. So I think that's kind of like a baseline of what people need right now. And a lot of times we as leaders are afraid to create those spaces because we're afraid everything's going to explode. I think part of the reason we feel like that is because kind of in our minds, we make it about ourselves. And, and really, this isn't about leaders at all. It's just about what's happening, right? What's happening in, in the space, in the sector, in schools. And people want to be able to talk about it and process it. So that's what I mean by connection. Yeah. So how is care different than connection? Right. Great question. Connection, as we use it in our work, is I put myself on the table. You put yourself on the table. We're having a real conversation. Care is more about, let's say, compassion, investment in you as a person, belief in you as a person. So it's that the desire for your, your direct reports or the people who work for you to be able to say, you know, my leader cares about me as a person and is invested in my well-being. So that's essentially what I mean by care, right? And that, that needs to happen through action and not just words. So ideally, a leader can walk the walk, especially at this time. Jethro, excuse me, I think that's what we need is for people in schools to see that their leaders care about their well-being as much as their students. We hear the, the metaphor, we need to put our own oxygen masks on before we try to serve or help others put on theirs. I think that's what I'm really talking about. Making it normalizing, making it safe in schools to think about our well-being. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you you bring that up because I had a a situation where a a teacher who there was definitely connection and um she was caring for me actually. And she said, mm. Jethro, do you know the reason why teachers are afraid of you? And I said, No, I don't. Honestly, tell me. I'm very curious. And she said, the reason is is that what you said here is that she didn't say it like this, but I'll say it like this for the sake of this podcast. She said that they don't believe that you care as much about their well-being as you care about the students. And she didn't say exactly that, but she said something kind of similar. And what she said really was they believe that if there's ever a disagreement, that you're going to side with the student all the time. And I thought about that and I said, you know what? They're right. I am going to side with the students and I'm not going to pretend like I care more about the teachers than I do about the kids. We are not here for the adults. We are here for the students. We should be sacrificing ourselves to serve our students and, and support them. And once she told me that, then I realized where I was not building good relationships with my teachers, but I also realized what my value was and what my, like, I have to do this. Otherwise, I'm not being true to myself. And the thing is, is that once I did that, then I could articulate to people, here are the places where I'm going to side with students instead of you. Mm -hmm. And here are the places where I can side with you instead of with the students. 
And that was a very freeing moment, one for me to acknowledge that that was the truth and people were reading me correctly and I wasn't going to pretend something else was going on when it wasn't. But then also to be able to just start recognizing when I was going to take a teacher's side. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I have said for a long time is that that homework is unethical and we shouldn't do it. And I, I would tell teachers early on in my career, if there's an argument between you and a parent or a student about homework, then I'm 100% going to side with them because you shouldn't be assigning it anyway. And once I made a bold statement like that, then the issues disappeared because everybody knew where I stood. And the problem was, was that before that, I wasn't telling people what my stance was. Mm -hmm. And so like all these things that you've talked about, connection, care, vulnerability, I wasn't clear about where I was standing. And so people had to guess and that made it very dangerous for them to know what I was going to do in any given moment because they assumed the worst. And so does that relate to what we're talking about here? Because it sure did in my mind. (laughs) Sure, absolutely. I mean, clarity is care, right? Clarity is kindness. I've heard that phrase, Mm -hmm. but it's also challenge. So I really hear you speaking to the last ingredient as I think about it in the list of three connection, care, and challenge because connection and care without challenge is enabling and lowers expectations. But challenge without connection and care is also dissonant, right? It creates a lack of safety. It's mm-hmm. the ideal is how when you can do both of those things clearly. And I think your story is a great illustration of that, right? You created connection by creating that clarity, but it was a challenging statement to be able to say, here's my line. Mm-hmm. I will always side this way here. And that's so important. And I think it rings true here in this conversation about joy too. When thing, when people are hurting and we want to make our, our cultures more healthy, challenge is still a, a key ingredient to that. But when people are hurting, challenging them is just is just more difficult. It's just more like suck it up and let's go and doesn't feel like you're being caring. Yeah, I mean, there's that's a danger. I would say it depends on what you're challenging. Right. In this situation, I would say we need to challenge people on the behaviors and the mindsets that are causing the suffering, both for them individually and collectively. Right. There's a way that we can, as groups, over focus on the negative, right, both inside of ourselves, but with each other, and which raises anxiety and hopelessness. There's a way that we can externalize and attribute our challenges to other people or conditions or contexts when we actually have locus of control. When pe- my experience is when teams start to do that, people are disempowering each other, right? And they're actually taking away their own advocacy. And that creates powerlessness and resentment too. So I think it's about what we're challenging on. We want to challenge folks on finding and owning their locus of control when things are overwhelming, right? We need to care and connect and, and make it clear about what's not not hold people accountable or blame them for what's out of their control. We need to challenge them to wrest control of what they can and challenge them to live into that and to lead into that. So I think a piece of that challenge would be to push a team like to identify places where we do have locus control and to identify things we can do about it. I think I can see collectively or collaboratively identifying places where we can work on culture or where we can work on systems in the school that might be obstacles 
agree to some new behaviors and agree to some mindsets that we want to live by and then hold each other accountable to it. That's, that is the approach I would take when, when the team in this moment, particularly when teams are struggling. Yeah. Very interesting. I think that having challenge is, it can be difficult, but I also think that it's totally essential that if you're not being challenged to have a standard, then it really is, like you said, it's just enabling. And and sometimes that can be really challenging for a leader, especially. How do you know what the right thing to challenge someone on is? Yeah, it gets back to the idea of social awareness and really knowing where your team is. When teams are down, particularly in moments like this, they're overwhelmed, they're burnt out, they're afraid, they're angry, right? They're scared that they're not going to be able to make it because they're, they're worried they can't sustain. They're angry at the way that they're resentful of the way they're being treated by everybody, right? By parents, maybe by leadership, by the board, whoever that be. And all of these things are swirling around. And so what do people need right now? People need to feel seen. They need to feel supported, but they also need to feel hope, right? They need to feel hope that there's a way through this. But they also, to the point of challenge, they need to be aware of and avoiding the dangers of a negative spiral, aware of what we ourselves can do to make the things worse. Yeah, that's really important, too, because we can make things worse. And sometimes it's pretty easy to do that. But what are some steps that I could take right now to increase my social awareness if I'm a principal listening to this? Yeah. Or a teacher, for that matter, because teachers have control in the situation, too. Mm-hmm. I think you said it, listening, where is your team? Like, where's your team below the surface, right? Where are they in terms of their emotions, their stories they're telling themselves about the current reality, what they're afraid of, what they're hoping for? How can you do that informally? And how can you create a space to do that as a group? I think one of the most powerful things that a leader can do right now is create a space for people just to be together and to share where they are. So that serves the double purpose of finding out and also kind of releasing the pressure cooker and building a sense of we're in this together. I'm not alone. Yeah. Feeling like you're like you're not alone is really powerful. And one of the things that I've learned from coaching principals for several years is, in fact, there's <laughs> there's a guy who who joined my mastermind group this school year. And he comes on and at the end of each coaching session, I I ask, what was most valuable to you today? And every single time he has referenced that the power is not feeling alone. And just this last time we met, I kind of got on him and said, hey, you got to start coming up with something different because (laughs) just saying that you're not feeling alone is, it's fine, but it's the same thing over and over again. And surely you're experiencing something more than just that one thing each time you come. But that's really what he needs. And that's what he is experiencing is loneliness right now. And having that extra support is really making an impact. And he's aware that he's saying the same thing over and over again, but he thinks that it's it's what he really needs. And so it doesn't matter what we talk about. The fact that he's not alone in these things is making a huge difference to him. Yeah. I think one of the most important things we can do to support leaders and teachers is to create a space where they can hear other people saying, voicing the same experience that they're having. 
Yeah. Yeah. I love to get a group of principals together in a circle and just let them say whatever they want to say. Yeah. And what they almost always say at the end of something like that. And those tend to be very emotional spaces, by the way. Yeah. They say, this is the only opportunity I've had this year Mm -hmm. to be able to talk about these things with anybody. Yeah. And what that says to me is we need to do a better job of creating those spaces to meet the needs of our people and schools right now. Yeah. Well, if you enjoyed this conversation, you should definitely check out Matt's book, The Noble School Leader. Uh, You can get it probably pretty much anywhere. Just search for that, The Noble School Leader, and you'll be able to find it. And there's a link to his book also in the show notes. And Matt, thanks so much for being here and for having this conversation. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.